0: This week's Insights Podcast on the Acadia Broadcasting Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, today we had a conversation with the Honorable Bruce Fitch, the Minister of Health for the Government of New Brunswick. This ran a little bit longer than our normal, uh, just a little bit longer than our normal interviews, but uh, we covered a, a wide variety of topics. And I think, you know, I, I walked away from that discussion thinking, you know, they, they seem to be... Uh, um, Doing the right things uh, around digital health, trying to address emergency room, and I was I was quite shocked to hear that they're spending a billion more on healthcare now than they were just five years ago. That's a big increase uh, in spending on healthcare. Now, spending is not necessarily the big challenge, right? If you have a if you have a backlog in your ability to recruit staff, for example, but certainly that's an awful lot of money flowing into healthcare. It
1: is, you know, it's a similar story to uh, what is going on in Nova Scotia, based on our conversation with Karen Oldfield, A lot, a big increase in healthcare spending, uh, but you know, it's it's about uh, not how much you spend, but what you spend on that makes the difference. And so, you know, they're making some new investments uh, that are, I think, in, important. Um, one of them is, uh, I think, important in terms of uh, dealing with emergency care, and that's the establishment of Urgent care centers—they've got a couple already, and I'm—I'm I'm assuming they're going to do others, which is meant to take uh, some of the pressure off emergency rooms for non-life-threatening uh, events. And uh, I think that that's the that's the right that's the right approach. So this is an approach that's used in the U.S. Uh, uh, a lot, and uh, I think it's a meaningful um, uh, a change. Uh, you know, you and I both understand that it takes a long time for change to actually flow through the system and end up making a difference that's the stage that we're at i think based on the conversations that we've had with uh, bruce and, and karen both there's lots of g- good things going on in terms of the changes being made but we're, they're not really being felt yet there will be a, a bit of time before they're felt but you know they're doing collaborative healthcare uh, uh, centers like uh, like um, nova scotia acknowledging that the way family doctors want to practice has changed uh you know and and, but you know there's a there's a problem that governments still have they have not communicated how healthcare is going to be delivered in a different way they have to prepare the population for it now even before it's actually effective because they need to understand that change is happening and you'll see it it may take some time but it's coming
0: yeah i mean the Healthcare in general is not a sector that's known for its marketing, Don, as you, as you well know, because the fear is the more you market yep. services, the more they'll be used. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true.
1: That's true. But, you know, the thing is, is that uh, they're doing some interesting things that Nova Scotia is not doing. And that's why we're doing these podcasts. Uh, I mean, uh, one of the things he mentioned about is long-term uh, care, uh, where they're going into those facilities to preempt the need for emergency care. And 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 nine one one calls and use of ambulances, and and they're 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 demonstrating through uh, you know a reduction in, in, in the need for those things that it works, and 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 that's a, that's actually a really good idea. Take the care to the people rather than have the people go to where the care is, especially in those long term care, uh, special care uh, situations. So I think that that's a that's a that's a great innovation that other provinces so should absolutely emulate.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and they've got a lot of work to do when it comes to electronic medical or health records. Um, yeah, only about one in five New Brunswickers uh, have those now, and it, 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 um, it there's certainly room for expansion there. And he he discusses what government is trying to do uh, on that front.
1: Uh, and, and just a, a personal comment about Bruce. I've known uh, I've known Bruce for. A long time. I've, he's been in a number of portfolios. He's a capable, dedicated uh, minister, and like you know, uh, uh, as we mentioned at the end, it's a very hard portfolio to be in
0: these days, and uh, it seems like uh, he's doing a very good job. I'd say it's probably the most difficult portfolio in government. I mean, I'm sure others would debate that, but uh, he seems to be enjoying it. It's a challenge, and he's he's uh, he's in there. Uh, uh- <laughs> you know, head first to try and get things done. And I think our listeners will appreciate the interview today. So without any further ado, here's our interview with Bruce Fitch, Minister of Health and the Government of the Province. Welcome to the podcast, Minister.
2: Well, thank you, David. I'm really pleased to be here. Hi, Don. How are you today?
1: Great, and thanks for joining us, Bruce. Before we get into the discussion about healthcare in New Brunswick, we'd like to learn more about your background. I wonder if you give our listeners an overview of your career path to your current role as Minister of Health for the province of New Brunswick.
2: Sure, the great question. And uh, I know we have a limited time here, so I, I won't go too far back into my elementary <laughs> days. And, uh, but uh, I did uh, graduate from, I went to Moncton High, I'll, I'll touch on that, the old Moncton High and uh, ended up down at Mount A, and I was a financial planner for many years, involved in the community, and somebody said, why don't you think about getting into politics? So I ran for council in Riverview, ended up uh, as mayor after a a number of years, was mayor for five years, and, of course, uh, dealing with the provincial government on and off, and, again, part of the uh, task of MLAs is to recruit other MLAs to run. So the opening was here in Riverview, and... I said, sure, why don't I run? What's the worst that could happen? Here, 21 years later, fast forward, I'm the Minister of Health, and it's been a great run, and uh, I really am enjoying the Minister of Health uh, portfolio. It's not an easy job. I'm not going to sugarcoat that in any way. But there's a lot of people, smart people, dedicated people uh, working in the system, and a lot of front care, frontline people that I work with, that I talk to, that I really appreciate and thank every chance I get. So, uh, so it's been 21 years, and here I am, the Minister of Health,
0: uh, Minister. I want to start with a question about the population growth that we've seen in New Brunswick since you came into power in November. I believe of 2018, uh, using stats Canada's estimates, it looks like the population has grown by about 75,000 people or about 10% in just five years. So I took a look, I went all the way back to 1920. We've never seen this level of population growth ever. I think the largest growth ever in a five year period was in the early seventies and it was like 43,000. So I guess the very first question for you is this, Was it inevitable that the delivery of public services would struggle to keep up with this rapid population growth? I don't think anybody saw it coming. I don't even know if your government saw it coming. But what is your just sort of general response to um, um, the delivery of public services in general in this time of rapid, rapid population growth?
2: A great question, David. And you're absolutely right. I I don't think uh, anyone really saw this uh, exponential population growth. I, you recalled the book uh, "Over the Cliff," and uh, people thought that New Brunswick was just never going to grow, never going to get out of that 750,000 population range. And here, as you mentioned, we're up by about 75,000 in the last uh, last five years. So, anytime you have that uh, amount of increased growth, it does put sp- pressure on education, healthcare system, people finding family doctors. Uh, the housing uh, situation where, again, people looking for dwellings, be it apartment buildings or individual housing. So whether it's been um, interprovincial population growth or interprovincial, just within New Brunswick, uh, there's also been international uh, uh, additions to our population as well. And that's something I know, David, you've been talking about for the years of saying some of the solutions to our challenges would be uh, increased immigration so it's been a it's been a bit of a two-edged sword in that it's great to see newcomers coming to new brunswick and many of those folks are in healthcare uh, sector allowing us to again fulfill some of the roles that are are vacant there Um, so so it's good to see the newcomers and uh, it's also presented some challenges and i know this government is is uh Moving forward to try and alleviate some of those strains and stresses on the system.
1: So, uh, uh, Bruce, we'd like to find out about how big healthcare is in New Brunswick. Obviously, it's a big portion of the provincial budget, and I'll ask you about that in a second. But uh, what, what is the budget uh, in the current year for healthcare?
2: Uh, that's a great question, and a lot of people may not realize, but the uh, current budget for health care in the province of New Brunswick is $3.6 billion, and that represents a, a quite a large percentage of the overall budget for the province of New Brunswick, over 30%, coming in at around 32 and a little bit. Um, and I was very pleased last, last uh, budget year to bring in an, an additional 10% To $344 million, $344 million increase, which was about 10% last year. So if you go back a number of years, um, there's been a substantial increase in the budget here in the province in New Brunswick by uh, almost a a billion dollars since since 2018. So anybody that says it's an austerity government uh, in healthcare is, is really not looking at the numbers or not considering that we've increased that budget for healthcare in the province by over 30% in the last uh, in the last number of years.
1: Yeah, that's a significant increase. Uh, tell me how many people are employed in healthcare across <clears throat> the province.
2: Well, the last numbers I have and as you know we're hiring more all the time and people choose to leave as well, but uh, but right now it's about 22,000.
1: Uh, that's a that's a big uh, labor force, obviously. Uh, you mentioned that you know there's a bit of pressure from them, uh, some quarters in New Brunswick to spend more in healthcare. You know, people complain that you're actually got a balanced budget and surplus, uh, but I, I just wonder, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, is it really a, a money issue, or is it uh, the way the system is organized that is the, the biggest challenge?
2: The uh, when it comes to other jurisdictions that may have more money or spend more money on healthcare, I look at some of the results or challenges that they're facing. And they are also facing shortages in healthcare professionals, uh, whether it's doctors or NPs or RNs, uh, the list goes on. And, uh, and they've had challenges with uh, backup uh, long waits in the emergency rooms. So, so various jurisdictions that may be spending more per capita or more per for global budget, um, they're still struggling with the results. So, what we want to try and find, and, and I know there's some, uh, you know, frequent white writers maybe to the uh, comment section of, of uh, the media stories just say, spend more money, spend more money. Well, we've got to spend smarter. We've got to spend and make sure that the system is working as efficient as it can be, and that there's collaboration that again, makes sure that uh, the dollars that we are investing in healthcare system is getting the job done as we need to to see it. And we may dive down a little bit deeper on what I mean by that cooperation. But but again, sometimes that uh, more money, even though we plan to put more money in and I'm fighting for every cent, we're in the budget cycle right now. And uh, the budget will be brought down March 19th, and there'll be some initiatives and some continuation of initiatives there that are going to be uh, 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 an expensive proposition. Hmm.
0: So we've got a wide range of questions for you, Minister, on, on healthcare workforce, but I think right at the top, we wanted to ask, so there's currently a shortage of 145 doctors across the province. Can you tell us what your government is doing to recruit more physicians?
2: Yes, and that's, that's a very good point, and it's a good file. Um, I go back, uh, some of your listeners may not know that uh, my father was a doctor, and my brother was a doctor, and of course my father's passed away, um, but he was from the old school, he used to make house calls late at night, people would call the house all the time, and he'd make trips up to Trachety and uh, and Rishabucto to see, he was a pediatrician, but, um, and then my brother was a family doctor here in Riverview, and um, and again, had a patient roster of 45, 5,000. He, he was very confidential about his practice. So, but I, I knew it was substantial. Uh, but to get to your point about the shortage of doctors, uh, we have been recruiting greatly. And uh, actually, at the Department of Health, we've created the Human Health uh, Resource Department, which again is tasked with that coordination of recruitment. And within the RHAs, the two RHAs, and uh, and also long term care, and they've had a number of missions around the area. But w- there has been some very very positive results uh, since nineteen or, sorry, since twenty eighteen. Uh, I guess the the standpoint of when our, our government took over, we've had one hundred and twenty seven physicians net increase. Here in the province of New Brunswick, and just in in this fiscal the past nine months, we've actually had a net increase of forty three. But but I think some of the uh, the working smarter, working more in collaborative practices, um, and working with the New Brunswick Medical Society is uh, is some of the things that we've done. To have a, a better outcome, and there's a couple of initiatives. I don't know if now's the time to talk about them, but uh, some of our international doctors that have come here specifically, um, maybe the college hasn't. The College of Physicians and Service Surgeons hasn't recognized the credentials, and that's been that uh, age-old story about somebody who's a, a doctor driving a, a cab. Well, uh, again the the fact of the matter is there's a num, we've come up with a number of programs one is the uh, clinical assistant program where where internationally trained doctors can practice with another uh, surgeon or or family doctor and uh, have about a, a, a take some of those things that may be not as critical as as uh, the the Canadian doctor is but again it gets those folks that have been internationally trained into service at some of the um, ideas like uh, like some of the patient histories, some of the follow up, some of the uh, answering some of those concerns. So we just announced that in December, and we're expecting to have um, up to twenty three hired uh, in in within the next couple of years. The other thing that has been uh, been quite uh, inventive, uh, the College of Physicians and Surgeons were working with us, and we came up with our um, our twelve-week evaluation, again for internationally trained physicians. Again, one of the one of the one of the ways that we've, we're using these resources or assets that are here in the province of New Brunswick, maybe not being used to the full full resource, and uh, getting them in to the medical system as quick as possible. So those are some of the initiatives that we've taken, made in New Brunswick results or, or initiatives to try and get more physicians uh, seeing people. And that and that's, there's other things that we can talk about too. We've had more medical seats repatriated here into the province of New Brunswick, increased some of the residential uh, seats here in the province again to get folks uh, studying or or training here in the province, which would, again, once folks get to know the area, get to know the people, um, it can become home and there can be a great career-life balance here in the province of New Brunswick for uh, medical doctors.
1: Your uh, deputy minister was recently quoted uh, saying your government would be moving to collaborative care practices to help address the shortfall in primary uh, health
2: care professionals,
1: can you explain this approach to our listeners?
2: Sure. And that, uh, again, it, it could take up a whole broadcast if, if we wanted to. But, um, but again, in finding that work-life balance for doctors, a lot of them were sole practitioners, um, fee-for-service out in maybe uh, within the city or in rural areas of, of New Brunswick. And um, they were just uh, isolated. If they had to take a a vacation or had to shut down for health or family reasons, um, their patients were left in the lurch. So the whole idea behind these collaborative practices is that there would be a group of physicians and allied uh, medical uh, um, practitioners like nurse practitioners, RNs, even uh, some of the uh, physiotherapists or occupational therapists, and, uh, and the patient would be owned by that clinic so that they may not go see Dr. Uh, you know, Dr. A but maybe they'll see Dr. B and maybe uh, they don't need to see a doctor at all but just need to t- speak to the dietitian. So these are, and within Horizon there's about 55 uh, um, community health clinics but the idea within the next little while is that those w- will modernize them or mature them where they'll have that electronic health record that they can share between practitioners. So somebody comes in and say, Oh, see your blood pressure was uh, high last time. That medication's working pretty good. Um, You know, let's carry on or let's renew it. Let's do that. And actually there's a clinic, there's a couple of clinics and examples within the province where they have that collaborative uh, clinic. And as I said, in Horizon, there's about uh, 55 throughout the province in different levels of of that type of uh, practice. And I know Vitality, they are looking at about 11 different clinics or 15 different clinics uh, around the province. And there's one in Dieppe where I know a number of people go to that have embraced that collaborative practice and um, folks can get in to see their practitioner within a couple of days. That's that's what I've heard, and again, that alleviates uh, folks going to the emergency room or not being able to get the service or the attention that they need in a timely manner. So I know that was a long answer for, uh, but it is a complicated, uh, um, complicated part of that continuum of care within the uh, the health uh, healthcare continuum.
1: Uh, We talked about this with uh, Karen Oldfield recently, the interim CEO of the Nova Scotia Health Authority. Clearly, uh, you know, family doctors want to practice in a different way than the past. Uh, But one of the things I think, uh, Bruce, that governments need to do is to reset expectations with the general population in terms of access to primary care. You know, the the long promise has always been everybody's going to have their own doctor, you know, but uh, that's no longer practical. Uh, no, no province is able to deliver on that province uh, prom- promise. But you know, the idea of collaborative health uh, care um, centers means that you have access to a doctor when you need it. And so, you know, uh, I think the uh, governments really need to reset the expectations of the general population in terms of how they access primary care. Otherwise, they're going to continue to think they're going to have their own doctor, and and they might, but they also might. Have a different doctor on occasion when they need, uh, you know, medical help, right?
2: Exactly, and there's another example on King Street in Fredericton that's again really matured as this center of uh, of access to primary care, where there are right. nurse practitioners, there are RNs, there's social workers, there's dietitians, and you're right, the 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 doctor that everybody wants to see may not be the answer, you know, you may. Go see the physio, and they'll see that no, you don't need knee replacement. You need to build up the muscles in your, uh, you know, in your legs, and you're going to be fine. Or, or you know, maybe somebody's got a diet that's they're allergic to some foods, or maybe they're celiac. Or, you know, I'm just grabbing at some ideas. But maybe the doctor doesn't have to diagnose that. But maybe there's one of those allied uh, professionals that have to do that. So, so I think when you. Uh, And again, a lot of ideas come to my head because I've met with some of the um, doctors in the university and what their expectation is of their patient load. And if it's at 1,000, that's that's maxed out. Well, some of these clinics and some of the proposals I've seen, they said, look, per doctor, we could roster 2,000 people. Um, But knowing again that you're not always going to see the doctor, your doctor, right. or the same doctor. And you may see the nurse practitioner, the RN, the uh, somebody else who can help you with your problem of the day. And sorry, I, I get excited and I uh, when I talk about some of the options that we brought up. And we brought up the pharmacies, where we've expanded their scope of practice so that you can, depending on what your ailment is, you should check with your pharmacist first, because now they can... Uh, look at a lot of items that used to be, you have to go to your family doctor. Well, the pharmacist can go treat and prescribe on a number of things. And there's a pilot project that we've got in a number of stores around the uh, province working with the pharmaceutical association that uh, again, may even expand that scope of practice further, probably will.
1: Right. So uh, beyond uh, physicians, recruitment of other healthcare workers is a continuing challenge. It seems like, especially this is especially true for nurses and uh, long care workers, uh, and this is right across, I think, the region, frankly. But you know, do are, are you do you have any special uh, efforts to uh, recruit, and retrain, re- retain healthcare workers like uh, long care workers and nurses?
2: Yes, we do, and I. Uh... I alluded to it earlier about our our uh, team of, of recruiters in our uh, human resource department in the in the health, which was new. Uh, it's it's up to twenty people now, and again, part of that is to coordinate the efforts of the RHAs and the long term care. And I know I've alluded to uh, one of the successful uh, um, missions to the Philippines, where they took uh, the the. Uh, Manager from uh, Loch Loman down in St. John and folks from shannocks and uh, and then they took immigration and healthcare along as well, but probably signed about two hundred people with the intention of coming here to the province of New Brunswick to help and and I went to uh, I went to the Shannocks in Fredericton here in um, Riverview and met some of the people, and one lady was right off the plane. I said, "How long have you been here?" she goes. I arrived today. And I said, Oh my goodness, you must be jet lagged so bad. But the fact that the minister took the time to go, they were, they were quite like I was thanking them and they were thanking me. It was uh, it was one of those moments that you go, no, thank you. And um, but those folks, and this goes back to that continuum of care, maybe they're RN, they may be called a nurse in the Philippines, and maybe their their skills aren't enough to put them in the emergency room today, but they can keep the beds open at Shanick. They can Shanix, they can keep the beds open at some of the uh, long-term care homes that haven't been able to be 100% staffed. That allows some of those long-term care patients to come out of the hospital, get the care they need, where they need it or when they need it. And then that allows to reduce the um, congestion in the emergency rooms because if somebody needs to be admitted, then there's a bed for them. And I know just over the, the uh, holidays, there was uh, quite a lot of news articles on the long long wait at the uh, emergency rooms. And one of the issues, I mean, there were many, many issues, we could talk quite a length that, uh, on that, but one of the issues was the availability of beds um, up in the, uh, up in the, up in the uh, other floors. And so having those workers open the beds in the long-term care, having the folks come out of the hospital, uh, opens up beds so that uh, the emergency room congestion doesn't happen as much. But uh, again, there were many, many things happening that caused some of those uh, delays and wait times.
1: Uh, just a, an auxiliary question on the on long-term care: Is, is there a government uh, building more long-care beds in the province?
2: There are, and I know when I was Minister of Social Development, um, I announced a number. And I know uh, one of the visits, or the, I mentioned the visit to Fredericton Shannocks um, they're building another 60 beds right there uh, in that same campus. And I know in the last question, I only talked about the Philippines as being a, a successful mission to recruit, but we're recruiting in the United Arab Emirates, Ireland, Netherlands. Um, they've been to, uh, of course, uh, interprovincial now if somebody writes the Quebec li- licensing exam they can practice here in the province of New Brunswick and there's basically 14 countries where we've said if you're credentialed in those 14 countries you can come and work here and of course that's France Belgium Morocco Philippines India UK Australia New Zealand and uh, United Arab Emirates and of course uh, United States and so so the movements and the relationship with some of the uh, Nurses Association, we're moving forward to try and solve some of these problems and take down the barriers in order that uh, we can have those human resource assets to uh, to help alleviate uh, some of the congestions and and uh, shortages in the in the system.
1: You know, there's nothing like a crisis <laughs> to get. Some changes made that otherwise would not be made, and um, you know, having 14 countries pre-approved is an example of that. That uh, that's that wouldn't have happened, I think, without uh, what what's happened, right?
2: Necessity is the mother of invention. I think that's an old saying yeah, that's, that that's uh, it. probably might be appropriate at this point in time. But uh, <laughs> yeah. again, that's what I've seen, and uh, we've we've had uh, that idea of if there's a barrier, let's try and remove it. Uh, and if we can't, let's understand fully why we can't. And sometimes, the Department of Health or the government doesn't have full control over some of these practitioners because they are independent uh, business units. So to force them to work longer or force them to work in a, a certain way, um, you have to you have to again make sure that the conditions are right that that's the the good move that they want to make and. Um, yeah, that's that's the the interesting part because people have different ideas and concepts, and that goes back to uh, some of the new doctors want to practice in that collaborative care clinic like we we talked about, and um, and when it comes to recruitment, uh, again, thinking about the Philippines, there's there was some person that sort of said to me, well, aren't they challenged? Don't they need healthcare workers as well? But but it's almost an industry for that country to be producing excess healthcare workers philippines when you look at the logistics it's i think it's 24 million people and the average age is around 26 or 27 or or the numbers may be reversed there but um but they overproduce because they know other countries will come in and recruit and it gives it, and actually you have to there's a certain percentage of uh of that cost associated with recruitment that we now, we cover that we have to pay to that government, but that's getting into a whole different, uh, ball of wax, but, but we are, we're not, and actually the, uh, world health organization has listed a number of countries that we are not allowed to recruit from because they're okay. just in the same situation as us where they're, uh, or even a worse situation under, right. uh, staffed.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. That was a, that was helpful. Thank you. Um, uh, we understand that Nova Scotia was perhaps the first jurisdiction to use pharmacists uh, to provide primary care for m- uh, minor ailments and to be able to prescribe medications for those ailments, including vaccinations, by the way. Uh, you indicated that your your government has taken a similar approach, uh, but just for our listeners, can, can you just give us sort of a scope of what pharmacists are able to do so that they they, they know uh, you know what's available?
2: Absolutely, and the pharmacists have been great allies in trying to help with that preventative medicine and also primary care, Um, right from the vaccinations, as you mentioned, whether it's flu or COVID boosters, um, which again is is kind of another conversation as to uh, this year we had a very low percentage of people taking those flu shots or lower than normal, Um, and and that's why we've probably seen a bit of a bigger spike, or we have seen a bigger spike than in years past. And people want the cure, but they're not willing to take the prevention. Um, that's that's one of those habits or one of those philosophies that we need to switch. The other philosophy, as you mentioned, is if somebody has uh, an ailment, talk to your pharmacist first. And uh, I'll just I'll read through a couple of the issues or some of the uh, ailments that would that would be uh, considered. Um, allergic dermatitis, cold sores, mild to moderate eczema, uh, gastroencephalological reflux disease, uh, impetigo, Lyme disease prevention after a high-risk bite, and uh, mild acne, conjunctivitis. Sometimes people refer to pink eye. And there are actually some uh, pharmacists, depending on the situation, and some of these uh, uh, pilot projects that will do even more than, than that, and sometimes recommend uh, 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 a type of uh, treatment that will ease your, your suffering from, from a, a situation that uh, may come up. So uh, that, that, again, is, is a different maybe uh, way to access primary care, is through your pharmacy. Minister, yeah, it's, uh,
1: it's, it's, it's int- can I just interject one thing? I, like, I have a niece who's a pharmacist, and I had a conversation about this. She's delighted to be able to do this. By the way, I think most pharmacists are. And one of the things she reminded me, uh, you know, the very best professional to deal with drugs are pharmacists. They know actually they actually know more than most general uh, practitioners because they have to keep up to date with everything that comes along. So in terms of prescribing medications, you know, in some cases, they're better than GPs.
2: <laughs> well, let me just say, um, you're right, we appreciate what the pharmacists have done and how they've stepped up because they are, again, a big part of that uh, preventative and primary care. And, and I just see that scope uh, expanding as, uh, as time moves on.
0: Minister, I think it was about 25 years ago, New Brunswick was either the first or one of the first provinces in the country to deploy telecare, a bilingual telecare service. Um, now, across the country, that service has evolved to include access to doctors and psychiatrists and other other healthcare specialists on a, from a, uh, uh, on a virtual basis through the computer. Can you tell our listeners um, what is New Brunswick doing to to Sort of migrate from the old school telecare to this modern approach to using uh, digital channels to access healthcare professionals.
2: Sure, you're, you're absolutely right, and I didn't realize that New Brunswick was the first, and uh, that's interesting. But your many physicians, including the family doctors, uh, some of the psychiatrists, and and even other other professionals as well, uh, have introduced that virtual care to their practices, and. Um, you know, it, it whether it's on the phone or whether it's through uh, text or email, this has now become a, a staple part of those uh, practices. Nothing beats eyeball to eyeball type of uh, medicine uh, diagnosis. But uh, again, to try and expediate and increase the access, virtual care has now become uh, an important part of the uh, of the uh, continuum of care. And again, there's still 811 that someone can call and maybe get uh, some direction, which is, is, you know, you need to have an appointment here, you need to have an appointment there, you need to go to the emergency room, and or uh, using the e-visit. E-visit, again, is something I think born out of uh, out of the COVID and the need for quick access to a nurse uh, a practitioner of some sort. Now, e-visit, my understanding is it's all nurse practitioners, and um they may have one doctor on, on staff, but uh, they're able to prescribe and uh, do all kinds of uh, um, prognosis on the, on the phone. Some of it is virtual, like uh, like we're doing today. Uh, some of it is through text. Some of it is through various things. But interesting how the demand for e-visit has, uh, has grown. And here in December, uh, the average daily visit was just under 800 visits to e-visit and uh last year at this time it was about 550 so it's now become a a way of people accessing that primary care and i know some of the family doctors have a concern that no i need to see my patients i want to be one-on-one with them and there's some things that you may not catch on the phone i get that i understand that um but uh at this point in time it's become a very very important part of uh, of again the the uh continuum of care in the province of New Brunswick.
0: And how do people access that? Is it just, uh, is it just Google e NB or how, how do they access it? E, it can that, be so
2: done through the, uh, through the government website. They can Google, but they have to be careful when they Google that they don't end up, it's the Maple platform that they're using. And if they end up with the Ontario Maple platform, they're going to be asked for their credit card, not their Medicare card. But if you okay. access it through the portal in New Brunswick, Um, it'll be covered by Medicare.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you about electronic health records. You mentioned it earlier in the collaborative care context. Um, I've been following this now for over 20 years. When Canada Health Infoway first started looking at this nationally, they've spent billions of federal dollars to try and uh, stimulate the use of electronic health records across the country. It's so my understanding we haven't gotten close to that in a pervasive way. I think you mentioned earlier that some doctors use it, but its I don't know that it's it's widely used. I guess the question for you is where are we in New Brunswick on that? Do we have a vision for digital health? Is the ex- expectation within a certain period of time all doctors will will have these uh, electronic health records that they can share amongst each other and that people can actually access their, their personal health uh, records?
2: Well, and that's a great question because I've been around long enough and uh, been fortunate enough to sit around the cabinet table for many of my years as uh, as an MLA. Um, and I remember trying to implement this at various stages in the last 20 years, like you say. And um, sometimes it's like uh, teaching an old dog a new trick. There, Once you've got a, a method of operation and it's worked for you. It's difficult to change. So this is where, as as we get younger and newer doctors in the system, not to say anything against the older doctors, but I've had a chat with some of them, and um, some are near the end of their retirement. They don't want to invest a significant amount of money in their their an electronic uh, medical record uh, system. So uh, So that goes back to our idea about the collaborative practice, is that if we're going to be in a collaborative practice, we need to have that. And then um, the government can help offset some of those costs that some folks don't want to incur if they're just coming into their practice or if they're just uh, leaving their practice. So, so it continues to be one of the priorities. And there's even a bigger um, system opportunity where um, where we can get all the hospitals talking to each other, all the uh, doctors being able to share records and share uh, those those patient files, of course, with the appropriate uh, checks and balances for confidentiality rules. So so you do have a, a certain level, but there's so many different parts of that, you know, electronic health record that there still needs to be more. And if if uh, if part of my my uh, budget goes through, you'll be seeing some more investment in that as we have been over the past. But one of the other ones that that. Uh, could be coming up is uh, My Health NB. I don't know if you folks are familiar with that, but uh, out of COVID you could, you could log in, you could get uh, download My Health NB and see, did I get my COVID shot or, or things like this. Now the hope is, is that that uh, will be expanding and um, that there's an opportunity to see that used more and more. There's actually 230 New Brunswickers already on that, uh, on that uh, app that, that they can see their labs results, their medications, their immunization record, and some of the ing- imaging reports. So trying to embrace that technology to make it easier for folks to look at their own health records and, and help manage uh, that flow of information. So there'll be more coming on that in the not too distant future, but that's another way where we embrace that virtual um, opportunity to, to help people manage their health.
0: Can I ask you, Minister, is that something that's like a year or two out or are we looking at like 10 years before we have everybody accessing My Health MBE to access their personal health records?
2: Yeah, there's, um, of course, our hope is that it would ramp up quickly and not be a, a long-term pie-in-the-sky dream, but something that is in in uh, reality in the very, very near future. Some individuals are not comfortable with, uh, with electronic or, or sure. devices on their phone. And, um, but again, that's part of the uptake that, uh, you may not get a hundred percent, but at least if you could move from 230, that, that will help.
1: Yeah. Nova Scotia has a similar app. It's called your health. Um, one of the things that they have, I downloaded it actually to figure it out. You can book, um, book appointments uh, for x-rays and uh, other tests Um, and eventually they're they're hopeful as well of uh, being able to provide you with records Uh, they're working really hard on that as well like you are but but the other thing they do by the way I don't know if you're doing this is that they provide wait times for the major hospitals emergency rooms to give an estimate of how how long the current wait times are which I think might be useful as well and I want to come back to talk about that issue a little later. But as a follow-up to David's question, a survey conducted by the Canadian Institute for Health Information in 2022 found only 22% of New Brunswick physicians shared patient information electronically compared to 44% in Ontario. Uh, Can you tell us if these numbers are improving in in, uh, New Brunswick?
2: Well, I know that that is our goal to improve those numbers and to improve them dramatically. And, and that's why we need to have people working collaboratively and working. We've worked with the uh, medical society to uh, have physicians adopt that uh, EMR system. And I know there's the, uh, the Family Medicine New Brunswick program, which is, again, promoted out of the medical society. Um, as, as those sort of go through the reinvention, that uh, electronic medical record is one of the, um, I guess, staples that they would have to have to adopt in order to uh, have some of those collaborative practices or the family medicine uh, New Brunswick program. So, so there's there's a, the hope is that that is going to continue. And I guess the, we really don't have a choice in trying to get more efficient, more effective in the assets that we have. Um, but I know it it sometimes is uh, difficult to migrate people. So there's a lot of it being done. Yes, we can improve it. And I think as people see how it works, there's going to be a, a, a more of a, a uptake or more of a, an acceptance to that. Um,
1: yeah, I certainly see the generational issue of older doctors and you know, not being prepared to kind of change at their stage of practice. You could probably mandate new docs coming into the system that, you know, you, you can only do it this way if you want to be in the system, maybe. I'm not sure.
2: Well and again there's carrots and sticks and i'd like to work with carrots <laughs> as opposed to sticks uh, especially uh, again like i say there it's independent crowd that uh, has their own ideas but even uh, and i wanted to touch on healthlink a little bit uh, before it was in my mind where again some of the some of the doctors coming out to get involved with healthlink where they work a number of hours or uh, and and uh, can see the patients who aren't attached to a, a family physician or attached to a clinic. And those all have electronic health records. Those are all uh, staffed or, or uh, provided uh, electronic medical records. And going back to your weights, uh, there, there is a website uh, through Horizon called So sowhyweight.ca. And okay. folks can go on that and see Where is the wait uh, for emergency room? And again, it's sometimes a a guesstimate, but um, there are apps and tools that can help people determine, maybe I should go to the Dumont, maybe I can go to the city, maybe I should go and then in Fredericton, maybe run to Oromocto or in Fredericton, we've opened up an urgent care facility right across uh, the river in the Brookside Mall. If you're from Fredericton, you'll know exactly where that is. And, right. and the hope is, is that that will take some of the stress and strain off the emergency room at the deck.
1: Oh, that's good information to have. Uh, and um, uh, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that, uh, Bruce. Uh, there have been uh, an increase, uh, obviously, in wait times for a number of surgical procedures in the province, especially those related those related to age, like uh, cataract sur- surgeries and knee and hip replacements. Uh, can you tell us uh, what the plan is for your government to address the, the kind of uh, wait times that you're currently faced with?
2: Great question. And, and uh, again, we could talk lo- quite a length on that. But uh, one of the things that uh, I think I've been most excited about in my tenure as, uh, as minister is the new cataract clinics that have opened up in various uh, locations across the province. The first one started in Bathurst as a pilot project. Uh, but the success was so good in removing people from the wait list um, and reducing the wait time and the wait line that it it expanded into the Miramichi. And uh, we recently just helped uh, a doctor in Fredericton cut the ribbon on his his clinic in in the province and we had to make some changes from a legislation standpoint and of course the opposition they were quick to jump in the picture up in Bathurst to when the ribbon was cut but when we got in the floor of the legislature they had kind of concerns about oh is this leading to private health care in the province of New Brunswick and but but uh, to be clear this uh, is paid by Medicare and uh, it doesn't uh, it's based on the principles of the Canadian Health Act which again is the single payer. And um, and again, it has reduced the, uh, the the wait lines and the wait times for cataract surgery in those locations. And there'll probably be another one in St. John, Moncton, and, um, and Edmonston as time rolls on. But the, the key point I wanted to make is that we had to change legislation because we had to make sure that the people doing the surgery were had privileges within the system, within the hospital system were recognized as a physician by the college here in the province of New Brunswick, that they had agreement from the RHA and also the, the minister would sign off. So I think the concern was that people were just going to start opening up clinics on the, every, every corner to do whatever. Um, but this is, it's, it's controlled, but again, it's increasing those as, access to, uh, to cataract surgeries. And, um, and that's where we are right now. I know there's some other procedures of a clinical nature that may be able to be done outside the uh, the bricks and mortar of the hospital. But again, those are are the ones we are look are, are com- have completed are the cataract ones for now.
0: So, since you opened the door there to privately delivered healthcare, I wanted to ask you a, a deeper question on that. I know there's things like the purely private sector MRI clinic in Moncton. But that's actually not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you just mentioned earlier, the, the, the concept of privately delivered but publicly funded healthcare services. Um, you mentioned the Health Facilities Act. I believe that's the act that you're talking about that allows these surgical services to be provided outside of a hospital. But can you just sort of explain your vision around this? Do Do you see more? I think you just indicated you didn't want it to go sort of willy-nilly, but do you see beyond cataract surgery, do you see other types of surgery being able to be provided by these uh, clinics outside the hospital setting um, as long as they continue to be publicly funded?
2: Sure, that, that is the key, is that uh, single payer service model. And uh, we continue to explore any opportunities uh, that, that we find that would again, help uh, reduce wait times or reduce wait lines and again, provide the care where uh, where it potentially is needed, and uh, I'll give you an example. Well, you know, there's things that happen within the hospital that could happen in the clinic. Uh, I'm thinking some of the dental procedures, and um, and again, when you're when you're there trying to compete with uh, hips and knees and some of the, the other surgeries, some of those you know dental um, procedures may be able to be done outside. Now, again it's it it gets complicated because of uh, various um, needs for for anesthesia and and again that gets into a whole different ballgame because there is a uh, a shortage of anesthesiologists within the system and if you start pulling them out uh, that may have another unintentional consequence that uh, that uh, you have and that's why you look at each one individually and see does this uh does this make sense, and going forward, does this uh, alleviate problems or create problems?
0: I wanted to come back and ask you about the wait times at emergency rooms. You, you talked about that a bit earlier. It has been in the media quite a bit, particularly over Christmas. Uh, Nova Scotia has introduced urgent treatment centers uh, to treat urgent but non-threatening illnesses and to reduce the demand on emergency rooms. And I think that's kind of what you were talking about when you mentioned that center in the Brookside mall in Fredericton. So to take it out of the emergency room and, 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 and take off the pressure. Um, there's seven of these things across Nova Scotia. Are you planning on doing more of that here in New Brunswick, setting up these centers like you've done in the Brookside mall in Fredericton to relieve the pressure on emergency rooms?
2: Yes. And there is another one down in St. John, the, uh, urgent care center in St. Joseph's hospital. Um, which again provides people with options. And this is supposed to be for the people that would be triaged at level four and level five. And uh, if you're level one, you're going to be. I had a, a discussion with a gentleman the other day who's, again, not to go into any detail, or well, a minor stroke. I, I, you know, confidentiality rules, I can't say who or where, but they said when they found out it was a stroke, we went in, didn't wait had three or four doctors lo- looking at us they they said the level of care was fantastic that was a life threatening situation um and that's that's where some of these uh urgent care centers can take the pressure off but again we have to go back and socialize people to say well I don't have to go to an emergency room because I have a you know a, a sniffle but um Again, finding the treatment at the right place is the key, the right place at the right time. But uh, going back to some of the issues that uh, the combination of factors that caused some of those problems over over the Christmas and New Year's, one was the staffing shortage. That's, again, uh, vacations are negotiated, and I don't begrudge anyone taking their negotiations or, or uh, vacations, but also, uh, severe again, RSV season was substantial, and that uh, was staff and uh, and the increased number of care uh, required. the The acuity, the frequency, is increasing, and uh, and we talked about some of the availability of services at that time, but the, and that respiratory illness season where viruses are circulating in the community was substantial. So so that was the challenge at that point in time you you expect a certain volume but that increases by 25% and that causes some some issues so having urgent care clinics or some of those other clinics that can access assess them uh, and, and uh take care of folks uh, ailments can alleviate some of those uh, issues at the emergency room uh,
1: just a quick uh uh second secondary question on that matter in Nova Scotia it seems like they've got a strategy to convert uh emergency rooms that are hard to staff into urgent care centers as a way of keeping those facilities operational but you know you know kind of right sizing them for you know the facilities that they have is that is that one of your strategies as well
2: well the other thing i mean we stand we that's, there's there's many things going through my head right now about how, what we've done to alleviate some of those emergency room visits. Um, we have seven mobile x-ray units around the province in New Brunswick that uh, mm-hmm. again started as a pilot project down uh, as a Healthy Seniors pilot project, which was a, a federal provincial agreement, but it was so successful in removing the number of seniors that had to go to the hospital to get an x-ray after a fall whether it's a wrist or a hip or you just mo- roll in the uh, mobile x-ray unit get your x-ray and if it's positive or negative you know then you take it from there but that alleviated on um, the the pilot project alleviated about 400 visits to the emergency room um, so going back to your question about converting uh, emergency rooms uh, again some of the some of the ratios of, of who's practicing there. And again, maybe the terminology is something different, but um, if we can have some, some nurse practitioners or some RNs or uh, some of these allied professionals taking some of those, those uh, emergency room hours. And another thing that we did was, uh, other than the uh, addition of the uh, clinical assistance, was the physician assistance. And it had been a pro- pilot project up in the deck And we've now expanded that and we're gonna expand that to hire these physician assistants uh, across the province, which again, will provide some of that emergency care within the emergency rooms. So I think uh, again, just in a name, it may be something a little bit different, but just going back to necessity being the mother of invention that I think is what's going to be done. But the the urgent care uh, clinic across at the Brookside Mall is uh, we went over and by noon hour, they had seen 60 people. This was the day we cut the ribbon. And of course, it was staffed with RNs and uh, nurse practitioners. There was uh, people that were getting x-rays. So uh, some of those, those you know, fractures were being looked at. So it, it was functioning at a very, very high level. And uh, again, we can see that um, if, the, if the time and place is right. And it goes back to... Uh, to the human resource availability, too. Sure.
1: Uh, Switching topics, mental health is becoming a bigger issue, being exacerbated by the pandemic, uh, clearly. In 2016, only 45,000 New Brunswickers reported uh, to Stats Canada that their mental health was fair or poor. By 2022, that number had risen to 112,000. I just wondered uh if uh, what the what the government is doing to address the, the mental health challenge across the province right now
2: you're right don that's a that's a huge issue and I know uh, more and more people are being affected uh, on a daily basis and sometimes uh, people are are self diagnoses or trying to uh, cope with the mechanism that may not be as healthy as as getting the help that they need. And the Premier was serious about it when he appointed uh, a new Minister for uh, Mental Health and Addictions, uh, Sherry Wilson. And um, and that's similar to some of the other provinces that have uh, a health minister and a Minister for Mental Health and Addictions. But there's, there is a list of some of the things that have done or have occurred here in the province of New Brunswick to help alleviate some of that backlog but it is a growing concern. Um, we've opened access to one-at-a-time therapy uh, which again is, is those single sessions to drill down to say okay is this a, a temporary thing or is it something that's uh, uh, acute or, or chronic and do we need to step up the, uh, the uh, type of uh, of uh, care that you need, uh, the Addictions and Mental Health Helpline, which is a twenty-four hour service that has expanded. Nine one one, not nine one one, but there is a provincial uh, uh, number that uh, again is just coming online where people can get that uh, the help they need. Um, shoot, I should have written it down. I think it's a nine eight eight, but I'll have to double check on that. And again, that's just new. Up in Camelton, we cut the ribbon on uh, on a new uh, addictions and mental health live-in uh, center, which was uh, it's top, top of the um, scale of, of the type of services that you can get there. And I met some of the doctors, and, and that's important. And I know uh, some of the things like Atlantic Wellness that we've uh, helped, Partners for Youth, Atlantic Wellness, of course, being a Greater Moncton area partners for Youth being more Saint John, and um, you know, I, I could go through a list of some of the some of the things that have gone forward uh, in trying to alleviate the the need for some of the services. But uh, Don, it's it's uh, growing, and it's uh, we continue whether it's uh, again manifest itself in homelessness or um or some of the addictions that you see in the streets or or the homelessness um or just folks trying to compete uh, or or uh, you know cope day in and day out but uh, there's there's been actually a number of uh, full-time hires about uh, actually 27 um that have been added within the regional health authorities authorities that have have been solely for mental health and addictions uh services and support so there's There's additional staff, additional programs, partnering with some of our stakeholders, a lot of different things going on. And then and we could have a whole you could have a whole program on the um, homeless situation, um, which, again, is sometimes related to mental health and addictions. But but they are, again, various levels of acuity when it comes to those those concerns.
1: Right. I read that your government is offering more healthcare services directly in special care homes around the province to reduce hospital admissions, emergency room visits, and non-emergency nine one one calls. Can you tell us about this initiative?
2: Sure. And uh, being former former social development minister, um, I was excited by some of these initiatives and. I, I think I mentioned earlier about the Healthy Seniors Pilot Project, which was a federal-provincial uh, cooperation, just to see whether or not some of those ideas worked. And, um, and certainly we've seen some, some good response. I mentioned the uh, mobile X-ray units that are, are now province-wide managed or administered by Extramural. And uh, some of the special care homes, we've partnered with Extramural to, again, provide that next level of care to prevent uh, the folks in the special care homes. And again, there's difference between uh, a nursing home and special care home, but we've, we've allowed extramural to go in and look after about 2,500 uh, patients or, or residents in these special care homes. So that has prevented uh, 911 calls. Uh, it also has seen a decrease by 25% of hospital administrations and there was a 34% decrease in emergency visits among those special care homes. So they can manage that. They can analyze it and say, having this extramural address some of the issues within the special care homes. Because again, you have some that don't have that, you know, higher level of, of care that maybe a nursing home would, would give you. Um, But there's been some very, very positive results there. Um, And again, that relationship between uh, the long-term care sector and the various levels, be it nursing home or special care home, and uh, that is another discussion where you try and continue to increase the the level, level of care that can be provided by some of those special care homes, which would open up beds and allow people to get the right care at the right place at the right time.
0: Minister, we're coming up on an hour here. It's been a great conversation. Wow. We appreciate it. It, fl- it flied, but flew by, but I do have two final questions. They're higher level, more more general questions, but I'd like to get your thoughts on them. The first one is: According to Stats Canada, on a per capita basis, we rank eighth out of ten provinces for capital investment in healthcare since 2018. So that's investment in facilities or technology, any kind of capital investment. Are you are you thinking about how we can invest in infrastructure, healthcare infrastructure as part of the solutions, whether that's new centers or new technology, new equipment and that type of thing. What, Why is our investment sort of below average on in, in the sector?
2: Maybe it costs more to work in Quebec and Ontario. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: no, I. all joking aside, that's a problem with healthcare. You can, if you you know, you got it. You have to be serious all the time because folks may just take it the wrong way. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but definitely from a standpoint of the investments that have been made here in the province of New Brunswick, uh, I can tell you this: uh, in the in the fall, we did the capital budget, and uh, healthcare's capital budget was just under two hundred million dollars. Um, and and 107 of that was just to continue the renovations or the projects that were underway. And uh, I know the Bathurst Hospital, um, the work at the George Dumont. We had uh, the uh, project in the in the uh, Ever Chalmers Hospital. Uh, we announced the, a new collaborative care clinic for pedicodiac uh, even just to get that starting. So there's there's significant amount of money being invested. Under, under the capital projects and uh, again it's good to see those stats right across Canada then you know um, are you are you way behind or again are things just falling where they are but I can tell you this that uh, there's been a significant amount of demand for various things whether it's just on, on inflation and supply chain to finish the existing projects and then uh, but it's good to see that in our list we do have Uh, new additions as well. I was down in St. John to uh, turn the sod on the surgical intensive care unit and the oncology unit in St. John. And we had um, the one here at the Moncton City Hospital about the, um, again, ICU or the heart, sorry, the uh, uh, New Brunswick Heart Centre for improvements uh, down there. So so there's things happening all across. And, And again, that's where the capital demands are huge. And that's where we have to make sure that we're using the investing the, the capital dollars at the right place at the right time and making sure that we're being very, very efficient in, in what we're doing.
0: The last question. I wanted to ask you how we encourage innovation in the healthcare sector in Nova Scotia. We interviewed Karen Oldfield. She was appointed uh, interim CEO of the Nova Scotia Health Authority, but she had no health background at all. And I think the idea there was you bring somebody in that has a track record of, of, of driving change and innovation in another sector and see if she can do it in the healthcare sector. I think we're a little more traditional in New Brunswick. We tend to put healthcare professionals or, or people that are in and around the system in those leadership roles. But how, how do we, do you have just some general thoughts for our listeners on how we continue to push the idea of innovation in healthcare uh, in our province?
2: Sure. Two things come to mind. Um, One is Research MB, and and that might be actually a good podcast for you to get Damon Goodwin on the show because there's there's a lot going on on Research MB, which is again collaboration amongst or or amalgamation of a couple of different boards that were doing some different things, the health research and. BioNB. So, so research MB was down in Boston and it was great because we had the two CEOs from the uh, RHAs. We had the presidents from some of the universities. We had some of the professors doing some of the research. So when I think of Dr. Aladd up at the precision lab and um, UNB with their data opportunity, it's uh, there's, there's significant amount going on in that sector and we can expand that, uh, you know, in, in, Boston there was a number of companies that were looking for criti- clinical trials and they said well New Brunswick could be great or the Maritimes or Atlantic Canada would be great because I I can spend 500 million and not or, or I can spend 50 million instead of 500 million uh there's a significant amount of money in that drug research center so there's a lot going on uh, second point and and I know I I I know you had uh, Karen Oakfield, uh Oakfield Oldfield sorry I know you had Karen Oldfield on your show, and, and that was very interesting. And I know probably the CEOs of our RHAs could get down into the weeds a lot deeper than I could on on some of the initiatives that they're doing to, uh, again, where whichever continuum it is. But where, where we've changed now, which is a little different than Nova Scotia, is uh, we've gone back to the boards, back to some CEOs, and again... Smaller boards, CEOs with business background, as opposed to, or sorry, not CEOs, board chairs. Uh, we have board chairs that are now business orientated, and and uh, and again, we've cre- also created that third body, which is the collaboration council, which is made up of CEOs and chairs, and myself as as the chair of that collaboration council. So that is, you know, we want to drive some of that province wide view on the services that are are provided so that if there's something that's working well in vitality up in Bathurst, why aren't we doing that in the upper river Valley or vice versa? And if the line for hip and knee is shorter in the Miramichi, well, why don't we take some pressure off the Moncton uh, hospital and send them up there to the Miramichi where they can get a hip or knee done in a much quicker uh, timeframe. So, 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 Going back to that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. I think this is a new model, a new governance model that, uh, that is going to work for our unique system here in the province in New Brunswick. And I'm really excited to be part of that. And I look, uh, I look to, uh, forward to the future for some of the uh, problems that'll be solved. It's, it's, not gonna, it's not something that'll happen overnight, but over time with, with all the very intelligent, dedicated people working together, I think is something that again will uh, do its best to suit the needs of the people of New Brunswick.
0: Certainly not the easiest portfolio in government these days, Minister. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on the Insights Podcast and providing us a progress report on your efforts to improve healthcare delivery in New Brunswick. We wish you every success and will continue to follow your efforts with interest.
2: Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It was good to see you both again. I uh, I really appreciate your um, efforts in this sector. Uh, like I said, one of the uh, one of the great things about healthcare is that there's a lot of very smart and dedicated people trying to find solutions and. I count you, too, in those uh, smart and dedicated people. Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the
2: show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple or Spotify.
0: If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlantic Canada.